0: As Britain went into lockdown, fears about health, infection rates and the catastrophic impact on the economy set in. But something else was taking hold. We've been speaking to the anti-racism charity, The Monitoring Group, and they've noticed an alarming trend.
1: I found over the course of lockdown that there has been a ramping up of racial violence. We had so many more reports during lockdown
0: the metropolitan police have confirmed to us that they've also recorded a rise in hate crimes since the pandemic began and we've heard from people who've suffered incidents of racial abuse
2: even now speaking about it i'm having shivers goose pimples talking about it still because it's still In my mind, I can't forget what happened to
0: me. Who are the people behind the statistics? You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the surge in racial hate crimes during lockdown.
2: I went into the shopping centre in January to have some photographs enlarged and I was coming back home when my 19-year-old granddaughter called me from university and she always calls me on a Saturday and we have a grandma, granddaughter chat, you know, about everything, school and shopping and food and all sorts.
0: That's Novelette Hoylett. She was born in Jamaica but has lived in the UK for decades.
2: My name is Novelette Hoylet, a 65-year-old lady living in London for the past 50-odd years.
0: So on that day in January, Novelet got on the 114 bus to head back to her home in Harrow. She sat down, still chatting to her granddaughter.
2: This guy came up to me and he told me to get up. I didn't respond to him because I was in conversation, as I said before, with my granddaughter. And in saying that, he kicked me in the knee. And I looked up at him and I asked him, what do you do that for? So he said to me, I must get up for him to sit down. So I said to him, I'm one stop away from home. Literally one stop from home. And in saying that, he spits in my face. So there was a lady sitting next to me, and she jumped up, and she says to him, Why do you want this seat? There are two seats behind us. Go and sit there. And he said no. He wanted me to get up. The bus nearly got to my stop when I rang the bell. And then this guy was ranting and raving, and he had a stick in his hand. And he picked up the stick like he was going to clop me in my face with the handle. When I got up, he calls me and a black I should go back to where I came from. When I turn around and look, the bus was full of people. It was a Saturday afternoon. There were so many people on the bus. No one got up to assist me or to help me or to defend me. And while I was stepping off the bus, he spit at
0: me again. I couldn't believe it. Visibly shaken, Novlette got off the bus and made her way home. She called the police and reported what had happened.
2: They said, if I see the gentleman again, I must call them immediately, which I did. I saw him on the Thursday and I called the police while I was on the bus and told him that he's there. Wearing the same hat and coat when he assaulted me and they did nothing. They didn't come and pick him up at all. Why? They weren't interested. So that makes me feel that the police is as bad as the man who assaulted me. They are. They must be. It's not right.
0: Eventually, the police told her they were going to close the case.
2: I'm telling you, I am so angry and upset. Even now, speaking about it, I'm having shivers. Goose pimples talking about it still because it's still in my mind. I can't forget what happened to me. I'm visualising what's happening to me or what happened to me at that time. And nothing has come out of it. He hasn't been arrested as far as I know and he hasn't been found. They're not not bothered. They're not
0: bothered. After the assault, Novlet had to go to hospital for the bruising on her leg. And because the man had spat at her, She also had to be tested for COVID. Now, she's constantly afraid.
2: I don't walk anymore. I drove my car because I don't want to see him again. It's like I'm watching over my shoulder and I'm watching everybody. I have to watch everybody because it was so sudden and the attack was vicious,
0: vicious. She goes over the incident again and again she can still feel the spit on her face.
2: Every day I get up, I look in the mirror and I'm thinking something's going to start growing out the side of my face because it was nasty the way he spits. And it was disgusting, you know, disgusting. I was shocked, I was so embarrassed, I felt dirty, I felt unwanted and I was questioning the, the, the colour of my own skin And I did say to the policeman, I can't help being black because my mother is black and my father is black. So what is wrong with people? I don't want to be in here in this country anymore. And he said to me, oh, you shouldn't feel like that. I said, I do. I said there was about 50 people downstairs on the bus and no one came and helped me. No one.
0: But someone did help. The police referred her case to CATCH, a group of charities working to end hate crime. And an organisation called the Monitoring Group got in touch.
1: Monitoring Group is an anti-racist charity. We fight against racial and religious intolerance. That's Dorothea Jones. I work at the Monitoring Group as a race advocate and I deal with frontline race and religious violence, and also domestic and sexual violence. Our aims are to promote good race relations and also uh, to relieve the needs of those who are distressed or suffering violence or harassment.
0: Dorothea flagged Novlet's case with the police and pushed them to publish a CCTV image of the suspect on Twitter in the hope that someone would come forward with information. She understands what Novlet is going through. Before she worked for the monitoring group, Dorothea was actually a client. She sought help after her youngest son was racially abused.
1: I came to work for the monitoring group a couple of years later. I think the empathy that I have because of what I've been through has really assisted me with the work that I'm doing at the moment.
0: Dorothea is a caseworker and she speaks to people who've been racially abused like Novlad. That's what she was doing when the pandemic hit earlier this year. I
1: actually thought because of lockdown... We were going to see a decrease in cases. I was actually thinking, I'm going to be locked down at home, you know, I'm going to be able to do sort of other sorts of work. But the cases were coming in, you know, I would say hand over fist. I was stunned um, by the amount of referrals. And at first, you know, it was, right, we can keep on top of this, it's fine.
0: But more and more
1: came in. When we started seeing that increase, it felt... uh, It felt almost insurmountable. I think at first I I was stunned because I was not expecting it.
0: Suresh Grover is the director of the monitoring group. Like Dorothea, he was shocked when he looked at the numbers.
4: It's a massive figure. It's unquantifiable at the moment. I mean, if we go on on the steep curve that we're going on, we are likely to be unable to cope with the numbers of cases.
0: The monitoring group sent us their data, and the increase they've reported is alarming. In the period between January and March last year, 23 hate crimes were referred to their organisation. For the same period this year, the number rose to 84. Between April and June this year, they received 347 case referrals. In the same period in 2019, they'd only had 35. That's almost a 1,000% increase compared to the same period last year. These are all cases of hate crimes.
4: Hate crime is defined as hatred against a person who is different or the other because of their nationality, because of their colour, because of uh, their identity, sexual orientation, their religion or their disability. So this is not just abuse but actually hatred.
0: It's not just the monitoring group that's noticed a spike in hate crimes. The office of the mayor of London told us that he was concerned about significant increases in racist and religious hate crime during lockdown. The Metropolitan Police Service reported a 30% increase in hate crimes in May 2020 compared to the previous month. In June, that total increased by a further 51%. As a result, more hate crimes have been recorded in June 2020 than the previous peak in July 2016, following the EU referendum. I think the spike is
4: driven by a number of factors. I think, obviously, one of them is a global re-emergence of an anti-China narrative. I think, therefore, it has popularised anti-Chinese xenophobic feeling or racism.
0: Some of the first hate crimes recorded during the pandemic were directed at people of Chinese origin.
4: The figures range from people being spat at, a woman who is Japanese but she's seen as Chinese, abused on the street and urinated upon. We have cases where Uh, Shop windows have been broken, customers have racially abused Chinese owners of takeaways and then smashed the plastic covering they have to protect themselves from Covid.
0: One of the cases reported to the monitoring group involved a man named Jacob Zhang.
5: Hi, uh, I'm Jacob. I'm currently studying in the University of Southampton.
0: Jacob is originally from Beijing in China.
5: I've been staying here for one year I had a very good time here. I think the biggest turning point was uh, was what happened on March 17th.
0: On that night, Jacob was out with a few friends who were also students from China.
5: I remember it was 7.40pm. We went out to get some dinner.
0: On the way back, they were walking through the main shopping area in Southampton.
5: There was a a, a bunch of young boys and girls. They were 15 or 16 years old, a bunch of young British people.
0: Jacob says one of them called out and asked to borrow a mask.
5: He just coughed at us for no reason and, and they just started laughing and shouting.
0: The situation quickly escalated.
5: They started throwing things at us and also pushing the trolley toward one of my friends. And it it actually hurt her.
0: The group of teens were hurling insults.
5: Like Chinese freak and also Chinese virus, go home.
0: The gang then followed Jacob and his friends to their halls of residence.
5: They rushed into our dormitory and they started to, to smash everything, like everything, they smashed everything onto the ground. and. They started to fight us, although we we fought back, but we still got several people injured.
0: Jacob was punched in the face. Finally, the police arrived. They were helpful in the aftermath, but Jacob says, as time went on, he felt like they weren't doing all they could to arrest and charge the perpetrators. Eventually, he was connected with the monitoring group who've been helping him to work with the police. But Dorothea says soon they realised it wasn't only people of Chinese origin who were coming forward. People of all minority backgrounds were reporting cases, particularly frontline workers.
1: We've had quite a few cases of frontline workers being attacked. There was a care worker who was racially abused and attacked whilst going into work. We had also had a police officer and whilst he was performing his duties, he was arresting someone, was, was racially abused. We've had clients as well, actually in tears, um, recounting what's happened to them because it's been it's so much pain, so much angst, so much stress. Plus the thought of, you know, am I going to go into work and possibly, you know, die or, or you know, or become ill from this virus that nobody knows anything about. Yeah, it's shocking.
0: That's Suresh Grover the director of the monitoring group, again.
1: that
4: frontline workers who are protecting the entire population, putting their life at risk, are actually suffering abuse. I'm actually beyond words.
0: Some of the cases have been really serious.
4: The range is really from verbal abuse to assaults to criminal damage to serious physical assaults. And and I have to say, luckily we haven't had any death, but that's how we are thinking at the moment because it's just lucky that somebody hasn't been killed.
0: The pandemic, it seems, is an aggravating factor.
4: Every time I meet people who are victims of racism, one of the things that is clear is not just about the fact that they're suffering racism in this period, which compounds their anxiety and trauma, but also they don't know where they're going to end up in the next six months, whether they have employment, because we're talking about victims who are working in, in the gig sector, in in the zero-contract hours, in the emergency services.
1: We're seeing intersections, often with gender, often with class and poverty, and often with people with disabilities also, mental health problems. So I think when we're sort of looking at hate crime, it's often about people that feel very, very powerless.
0: The pandemic has made it harder for the monitoring group to help people. Normally, you know, when you have
1: that person-to-person interaction, you can hold a hand, you can hand over a tissue, you can give a hug, you know. There's that, that reassurance you get from person-to-person contact, which is is missing when we're doing this online or, or we're doing it by the phone. And we've had clients that we've had meetings with that uh, sobbed on Zoom and that powerlessness we feel being able to support via that platform. And I think there's an element of helplessness that you can't help everybody that contacts you. And I think it stays with you as well. Also, you know, the, the lack of resources sometimes thinking, have I given this person enough time? Are these people going to be able to
0: access other services? And sometimes, Dorothea says, lockdown is part of the problem. That was the case for Maxine Arturo wilkinson who lives in Lee in Greater Manchester. My name's Maxine
6: Widget Artura-Wilkinson. I'm 53-year-old and I live with my husband, son, grandson.
0: Maxine is half English and half Nigerian. She says she had never experienced serious racism until last year, when two men, a couple, ...moved into the house next door to them in Greater Manchester.
6: We heard all this banging and shouting. There was a lot of domestic abuse. On average, it was happening every single weekend.
0: After one particularly violent incident... ...a neighbour called the police... ...and the police asked to see CCTV footage from Maxine's house.
6: And then it all, it all went wrong from there... ...even though I didn't phone the police.
0: The neighbour blamed Maxine for getting the police involved... And the racist abuse started immediately. In the middle of the night, he would scream abuse at their house. And all I heard is, Maxine, you black. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, went, oh!
6: I went, oh my God, have you? Well, he's just called me. You know, he'd say, oh, get a wash, you, you dirty. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, and then he used to call me a black. <laughs>
0: Maxine's husband was battling blood cancer at the time. She says that on two separate occasions, he was taken to hospital, and the neighbours stood in their garden, smoking a cigarette and laughing.
6: They should look at it. Look at it. That's what they started calling it. It.
0: Things escalated when lockdown began.
6: I don't think a day went by where I wasn't abused. And do you know what? They used to kind of. must Because at the front, we've got a porch. And it just seemed like every time we opened the porch door, there was there in the garden. The back, we've got patio doors. And it's like they knew when my doors was opening. Every day, they just look up at my windows. It was summer. I used to have to have my windows closed and my blinds down. I just felt closed in, obviously. And then my anxiety. I do suffer from anxiety from when my husband was I had cancer, all my anxiety came back again and like all my chest got like dead tight and and then I started getting a really bad headache. I I never thought that I would actually experience really bad anxiety like I did. It's just you know and to think I would have never thought that I would have would have been suffering racism in my home home.
0: The Housing Association was supportive, but they couldn't evict the neighbours during lockdown. Eventually, Maxine went to the police.
6: It got that bad, we had to go and get an injunction on them.
0: But that didn't help. Maxine says the neighbours came over to scream at her after the injunction was delivered and were promptly arrested. The neighbours moved away of their own accord in June, but Maxine is still afraid.
6: Even though they're not next door to me, I am still living in fear because I don't know what their next step's going to be. I used to be a confident person. I mean, me, even my hair started falling out. That was like just stress. Never slept. I was scared of going to bed. I don't, They broke me, I'd say. They probably have broke me. You know, to think somebody's only been there for six months and... I've been in this house for 22 years, and they've, they've permanently scared me. I'm permanently scared. She says she wishes the police had done more. They just got away with it, so, you know, they'll just go and do, just abuse somebody else now. I think they should have been punished. I was let down by the police, really. Uh, you know, I, I was, I'm really let down by the police.
0: To me, they didn't do enough. Southampton Police didn't reply to our request for a comment. Greater Manchester Police did. Superintendent Rick Jackson of GMP's Bolton District said, During lockdown, we noticed a slight increase in hate crime. However, after speaking with communities and our partners, this has been due to more people having the confidence to report their concerns as they deal with tensions associated with lockdown. We've been working to ensure people have the confidence to report incidents and we'll work quickly, where we can, to deal with offenders. We remain absolutely committed to tackling this abhorrent crime. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
3: You should celebrate yourself every day.
0: Suresh says it's a theme they hear again and again from their clients. The police aren't doing enough.
4: I think the best way to describe it is there are very, very small pockets of excellence in a sea of indifference and hostility. I think you see one or two individual officers who may respond very properly. But what we are witnessing, they don't even follow their minimum standards and policies dealing with victim support, responding speedily to people in crisis who are suffering abuse or attacks because they're, in, they're alarmed and distressed by the experiences that they've suffered. And you have very, very insensitive forms of police response to individuals from different backgrounds.
0: For Suresh, this is particularly disheartening. Because he thought they'd already pushed through some of these reforms. The monitoring group supported the family of Stephen Lawrence, who was killed in 1993. Lawrence's family and the monitoring group campaigned for justice. Nearly two decades later, two people were finally convicted for his murder, though the family believes more suspects are still evading justice. In 1999, the government published a groundbreaking inquiry into the police mishandling of the case, the Macpherson Report. It published a series of recommendations for how law enforcement could overcome racism.
4: So all the gains that we made during the Lawrence inquiry in the 1990s and through the Macpherson recommendation in 1999, are simply lost. I don't think many of the recommendations that were implemented are actually practiced now. And so at the moment, there is, there is a real crisis of confidence. The confidence levels are very, very, very low. All the gains on the Lawrence Inquiry have been lost. And how we resurrect that, how we pull that together really depends on whether we have an able political leadership and leadership at the highest level within the police forces. It's simply not good enough for politicians to just condemn the most outrageous or the most atrocious attack, which may lead to somebody's death. Their responsibility is to stem the tide. I think the first thing that needs to happen is for the politicians in a government, opposition level, to acknowledge that racism is a serious problem. I think that hasn't happened. And the impact of that is that there's an absolute failure in how Black and brown communities are policed in this country. We are over-policed when it comes to so-called crimes committed by us, but totally underpoliced and under-resourced when crimes are committed against us.
0: Over the past few months, Britain has seen a large number of Black Lives Matter protests. Although they were sparked by the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis in America, these protests have shone a spotlight on racism and problematic policing here in the UK. Suresh says Black Lives Matter provides real hope for change, but it's also attracted a backlash.
4: Black Lives Matter... Such an essential groundbreaking movement. I've never seen that momentum since the 1970s when I was young. So I think there's a massive sympathy for that. But I think there's also a reaction against it. The far right have become much more acute, much more violent, much more dangerous in, in how they categorize the BLM.
0: He fears that hate crimes will continue to rise, particularly given the economic downturn that's looming.
4: My predictions in the next, you know, three to four months or six months is I I fear that the problem will become bigger and bigger. I mean, we know from experience and we know from the patterns that arise that whenever there is austerity, when people lose jobs, there are always scapegoats and people direct their attentions at migrants, asylum seekers and BME communities as people who are responsible for the crisis. It, and it's it's driven by politicians and it's driven by media. So it always, we've noticed that it always ends up in more reported of hate crimes and racism. And I think that's what we think will happen unless the politicians begin to change their narrative and actually create a different mindset on how the issue is addressed. And I think that that's where we are going to be. But I'm not... Um, in the business of predictions, but I think that's where the trend is going. It is something that needs to be dealt with on an urgent basis so it doesn't go out of hand and lead to people's suffering fatality. We have the power to stop somebody being murdered and we should take every single action humanly possible to make sure that somebody doesn't lose their life.
0: Several days after we contacted the Metropolitan Police for a comment on Novlet's case, they decided to reopen it. The Metropolitan Police also told us in an email that it takes hate crime very seriously and has a zero-tolerance approach to this offence, which it knows is underreported. The Met went on to say, We are committed to working closely with a range of community partners to tackle hate crime by engaging with affected communities, supporting victims and bringing prosecutions where appropriate. We would urge anyone who believes they've been the victim of a hate crime to come forward so that it can be fully investigated by calling 101, tweeting at METCC or anonymously contacting Crimestoppers on 0800 555 111. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests... Suresh Grover and Dorothea Jones at the anti-racism organization The Monitoring Group. Many thanks to Novlet Hoilet, Maxine Arturo-Wilkinson and Jacob Zhang for speaking up about their experiences. The producers were Brenna Daldorf and Asir Fuchs. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rolfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. Do leave us a review if you get a chance. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and now we're also available on the Times Radio app along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow.